And then very early on in life, like at the age of one or two, something happens to every single person I have spoken to. It's always been the same. There is a specific design. Something happens. And at that moment, you forget who you really are. So you forget who you really are, which is about the most traumatic things you can go through. You forgot you are connected to the divine. You forgot you're the soul. You forgot your essence. You forget all of that. And you're left now with finding something to ground yourself. But you will not look inside. From that moment on, you look externally. So externally at things, at people, at stories you make up. You, if you look at the world we live in, we have a global frenzy of identifying with things external to us. And that's a source of suffering. So when you awaken and you bring consciousness to your identification and you accept that you're suffering and that is not the natural state of human being, mm -hmm. then you start to let go and shed all your identifications until you go back to who you really are. Welcome back to the In The Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and you are listening to episode number 32. Today on the episode, I talked to Sophie McClen, who is a wisdom teacher and was born in Algeria, educated in Morocco and France with a professional career in the US and the UK. Sophie has led a very eventful life. She has been a helicopter pilot, a teacher, a designer, a relief worker, a war refugee, a CEO, and served as a United Nations representative on the Commission on the Status of Women's Hunger Project. She has been shot at, shipwrecked, and widowed. She has lived on a farm, a boat, a penthouse, and in an ashram. As a wisdom teacher, Sophia spent decades leading transformational seminars to over 80,000 people around the world of all ethnicities, ages, religions, and social backgrounds, all engaged with the universal existential questions of who and what am I and what is my life about? And in this episode, we discover and talk about what it means to be human. And I feel like in leadership specifically, at least in the corporate setting, I've noticed that we often forget about what it means to be human. And we forget that the people who work for us and the people that we work with are all human. And really understanding what it truly means to be fully human is an important component to, for any leader um, and for anybody in a leadership position, understanding what that means. So in this episode today, Sophie and I take a little exploration and do a little bit of diving into what we think it means to be fully human. And this episode's a little bit different than some of the previous episodes, which I love. It tends to go down a little bit more of a spiritual road. And we talk about existential questions that you know, normally don't get talked about in leadership podcasts, but that's one of the things I want to provide in the, in the lead show is experiences and different takes on different subjects. So I hope you all enjoy and welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening to the, in the lead show. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the show and check out the In The Lead newsletter. Every week I send out mindfulness and leadership tips to help you become the best leader of you. See the show notes for a link to subscribe to the newsletter or go to www.intheleadshow.com and subscribe there. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the In The Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang. And today I am joined by Sophie McClinn to talk about what it means to be human. She is a wisdom teacher, and I'm really excited to have her on the show today. So welcome to the show. Jennifer, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about yourself. Who is, who's Sophie? All right. So, wow. Um, the question, right? Let's dive in. So, um, Jennifer, the best way to create a context for getting to know me is that um, when I was 12 years old, I, I was brought up in Casablanca, Morocco, and I had an epiphany, uh, which is, uh, was not thought. Uh, I mean, I, it just I was in the garden and suddenly I had three realizations, right? I call it my gift. It set up my entire life. So the first realization was that I was being brought up in a cocoon and that the cocoon that was very nice, very loving, very safe, very small was not a reflection of the world. That was the first thing. The second realization was that I needed to go out in the world and find out every experience there was to be had from despair to joy. And then the third uh, realization was more a command than I needed to give it away to people. Mm. Tell them that everything I had discovered was all an illusion. And I had that was a message I had to give. So I ran to my parents and I told them, oh, amazing. I just got the message. I understand it all. It's all we live in a cocoon. It's all an illusion. And I have to tell people and they gave me my nickname, the crazy one, which I understand, right? <laughs> if you have your 12-year-old girl that comes to you telling you she has a secret of the universe, you will give her that nickname. But that set up my entire life. This is, I have never looked back. I have always um, been a yes to life. I see life as an experience. So the, I experienced the full spectrum from despair to joy until I reached a kind of peace. And then I started teaching when I was 33. I'm now 61. I taught to nearly 100,000 people in the world. And there I go. I just share my experience and give people access to being free. Yeah, I love that. I love that you talk about that spectrum because I talk about that a lot too is especially in our world today, it feels like, first of all, it feels like extremes. It's like, it's either good or bad. And it feels very narrowly focused. Like it's good or bad, or it has to be this or that. And I always say it's the entire thing and you have to be able to hold it and carry it all at the same time. We're not just only one thing. We're not just happy. We're not just, you know, joyful or angry or whatever, like it's all there and it is a spectrum and we're on that spectrum, maybe multiple places on that spectrum at any given time. So I love that at 12 years old, you had that realization and the crazy one, you know, what's funny is actually I've, 
had that type of language used with me in the past too. And I find that whenever you feel like you have some kind of truth that you want to share with people, it can be sometimes interpreted that way. Like, oh, you're just crazy or, oh, you're just a little, a little, you know, off, I guess, or something wrong with you. Um, Did you ever have anything like that come up for you as far as like? Absolutely. I mean, I was interviewed on French national television and insulted and uh, called a guru, a dangerous guru, right? So I know it was terrible. I mean, really, truly, uh, people, you know, it, I, I think it's Aristotle that said, when you have a new idea or a new insight, the first stage is everybody's going to laugh at you. The second stage is that everybody's going to vilify you, saying that you look dangerous and you should be stopped. And if you manage to go through those two stages, then the third one, your idea will be accepted and will become routine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people will take credit for it, right? So somehow, you know, I adopted that view and when people react, but I'm writing my second book and I'm calling it only an ass will want to be a prophet. Mm. <laughs> that is exactly answering what we're talking about right because it's yeah. one thing to be a teacher but really truly you yeah. do get a lot of flack yeah <laughs> no it is true I mean it's, I think especially if it's you know outside of whatever the norm or whatever is accepted and it almost sounds like you're talking about like that resilience or but also a deep inner knowing a deep sense of this feels like my truth and being really firmly rooted in that, even through maybe the doubt or the critics or the people who have, who may not want you to get that message out or get whatever your truth is out. It almost feels like that too. Like having this deep sense. It sounds like you had that in an early age. It's, it's, um, it's an impulse. It's an irresistible impulse for authenticity. So I changed my mind, right? I'm very malleable. I'm a spiritual shopper. I go right, left. I have new ideas. I mean, what I said 10 years ago, I don't say now. And because I experience that life is always in movement, always evolving. So if I was going to stay stuck, it would be terrible, right? But there is this irresistible impulse to elevate and mm. shed any stories, any truths, any beliefs until I'm now in a space where I know nothing. I really do know nothing. I have a total beginner's mind that the Zen people talk about. And, and then you learn an enormous amount, right? It's a paradox of life. Right. Right. Wow. That's beautiful. So when you say that you're a wisdom teacher, like what does wisdom mean to you? So wisdom is um, when you experience it's, it's beyond intellect, right? But when you have an experience that reality is only through your view of it, right? So let me say it another way you hold life in your eyes. It is your view of life that is going to give you your experience of being alive. Meaning that wisdom is when you know you're the source of it all. Mm. Wow. That is really powerful. So if you are the source of it all, 
how, how can we be, so this podcast is intended to help teach people leadership skills and kind of get more, maybe in touch with that inner wisdom that we're talking about. What are some things that you've experienced in your life that have helped you kind of really come to that point of understanding that wisdom and connecting with it? Well, the first um, step, I think, is to um, literally shut down the option to the world of suffering and victimization, right? So as a human being, we suffer. I mean, human beings suffer. I don't care if it's slight discomfort or all-out suffering and depression, right? But we suffer. But if you notice only human beings suffered, right? I have dogs, which I hope are not going to bark here. Um, but the, a dog with three legs doesn't go around saying, my life is ruined, let me get a therapist, you know, uh, I have a problem. The earth doesn't suffer from the earthquake. Mm -hmm. Only human beings suffer. Yeah. I mean, animals have pain, but they don't suffer. And the yeah. source of all suffering is our that as a human being with language, we make up stories, right? We have a narrative about everything. We have mm -hmm. interpretation, comments, evaluation. That, that is the, a strength and a pitfall. It's a pitfall when we believe our stories and then we suffer. Yeah. Right? Yes. And stories from the past, stories i mean you could say science is a story if you believe it you will suffer yeah so it, that's the first step i love what you're saying because it i've i've read a lot of teachings in the buddhist philosophy and they talk a lot about suffering and that was a big realization for me because when on the surface you think of suffering you think of like the big things like i lost my job i'm getting a divorce um, I'm overweight, you know, whatever the, the big things is, but it's always those little things. And like, you're saying it's even the little tiny stories that we tell ourselves every day that we may not even be consciously aware of. To me, that feels like part of the wisdom is when you're consciously aware of even those little tiny stories that can be running in the back of your head, that might be keeping you in that suffering that then might be projecting out into the world. You might be making biased decisions and leadership on that. You might be, I don't know, protecting yourself in some way, which then might be lashing out at people. Um, even just walking down the street or in your local grocery store, we are all suffering all the time. And I don't think we fully realize that. And one of the things I've started to really dive into in my, um, my work is looking at how trauma and how suffering informs leadership and how the lack of that information and the lack of that wisdom that you're talking about is actually reinforcing more suffering is actually creating more space for that suffering to exist. The problem with not bringing awareness, right. To your yourself um, is that we all teachers, right. A teacher, mm -hmm. we are, all of us born teachers, you will teach yeah. something. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have awareness, you will teach something that will repeat the patterns of the past and you will project your own suffering. Mm -hmm. So either you're going to teach suffering and survival and victimization, mm -hmm. 
or you're going to do the work to shift from the world of suffering to the world of spiritual, what I call the spiritual or the uh, originator. Mm-hmm. And that is what you will teach. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite um, authors is a Buddhist author. Her name's Pema Chodron and mm-hmm. she's written many books. Uh, you know, yes. a lot of people are aware, um, but she talks a lot about this suffering and how it's almost like an addiction for humans. Like if we break it down to like a physical level. It's almost like those stories. We become so hooked on that thought, right? I'm overweight. I'm not pretty. Um, I'll never be good enough. Uh, you know, wherever we develop these stories, probably in early childhood or someplace along in our lives, we've held onto it. And then it becomes like an addiction that we can't control and we can't break. And I think what you're saying is that awareness is really where, at least I've noticed in my life where it helps to go, Oh, I'm noticing that same kind of story come up. That suffering is how do I kind of like almost break that cycle of that story that then is like an impulse. Like you said, that then makes me go do something right. Like whatever, we all have different things, but I think it, it can helps. be like that. It also helps if you and if you inquire into the design of human beings, right? So from my experience, I don't pretend to have the truth, but from my experience of all those uh, people I led to and worked with, um, we seem to be born, right? And when you see a little be- baby in the cart, you can put 40 little baby one next to the other and there is nothing going on. There is no persona, there is no character, there is an essence, mm-hmm. right? There is, each little baby is different, but not separate. They are present and there is no character, no protection. And then very early on in life, like at the age of one or two, something happens to every single person I have spoken to always been the same there is a specific design something happens and at that moment you forget who you really are so you forget who you really are which is about the most traumatic things you can go through you forgot you are connected to the divine you forgot you the soul you forgot your essence you forget all of that and you left now with finding something to ground yourself but you will not look inside from that moment on, you look externally. So externally at things, at people, at stories you make up. You, if you look at the world we live in, we have a global frenzy of identifying with things external to us. And that's a source of suffering. So when you awaken, and you bring consciousness to your identification and you accept that you're suffering and that is not the natural state of human being, Mm -hmm. then you start to let go and shed all your identifications until you go back to who you really are. That's what I say it feels like for me. I've been on a really long journey um, over the last 15 years, because I've had some things in my life that have happened and I've suffered with anxiety for a long time. And I, I just, I just sought out therapy, um, early in my life, which I'm very grateful for, because I feel like what I've learned about the process of what it means to be human is like what you just said. It's about trying to get 
find my way back to who I've always been, what has always been there, but through life and, you know, traumas and stories and events that have happened in my life, I feel like I've gotten away from that, but it's about taking those steps back. And again, to who I've always been, we are, that is always there, right? That's never gone away. That's why I like to tell people you're not broken. You're not, there's nothing wrong with you. Fundamentally, there's nothing. You are whole, you are capable. Everything is inside of you. It's there. It's just, do we have the courage to kind of turn towards it and meet it? And really lean into it and be it fully every day. Um, And I think that's hard for a lot of people, especially people who have especially experienced a lot of trauma in their life um, and people who have a lot of painful, you know, stories that they've told themselves for a really long time. But I've noticed, at least in my experience too, I don't have all the answers, but just in my own experience in therapy and really, really digging deep and really trying to get really close to that part of you that you're talking about, that soul, that essence, it, it, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to really unhook yourself from those stories, to create that space and know that you aren't that. What I also heard you saying is attachment. It's another thing in Buddhism. They talk a lot about is like, we're really attached to, yes, if I say I'm fat, I'm fat and that's me. And I'm that. And we can pile a lot of stories on top of that. But the minute you become less attached to the idea that you're overweight or that you're flawed or whatever your story is, like that's where the real healing comes from. It's about going back to that place of knowing you're whole, knowing that you're, you're, you're perfectly okay in here. It's, I think, go ahead. Well, I, in my experience, people that have a lot of tragedy or, or very difficult circumstances uh, wake up earlier, uh, easier than people that have just a fine life, right? So for example, I was raped, I lost a child, I lost my husband on honeymoon, mm-hmm. all that by the age I was 28. I woke up so fast, I can tell you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I got my priority rights. I know that the only thing that matters is love. And I never looked back. So then some of my students had a life that was just fine. Mm -hmm. You know, just uh, fine. There was no huge tragedy. There was some hurt and some, you know, you can't be human and not have that. Those are the people for me that have the most courage. Because if you go like my route, which is, okay, you are put head first in the bottom of the pit of despair. Mm-hmm. When you reach the bottom, you have to kick up, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have much credit to take. I admit it was a that or, or I don't know, collapse in a hip. Mm-hmm. But when your life is fine and you have nothing to really complain about and you're still not fulfilled, mm-hmm. then that's where it takes an enormous courage for me to yeah. engage in that road that spiritual road of inquiring into who am I, what am I, what is my life about, what is this all about, because you don't have the incentive of the tragedy and the drama. That is true. There is a blessing and a gift in that. I will admit to that because it almost forces you. I always say, well, I don't want to say force because that sounds strong, but I always look at it like life is inviting you saying, come, come have an experience. 
take a good look at this. It's something that's really hard and painful, but the invitation is more obvious. It's like, yeah, when you go through something extremely traumatic or traumatizing, it's pretty, it's right there, right? Like it's, it's on the surface. (laughs) Yeah. It's obvious, right? You can't really hide from that. Well, although I I do know people who actually spent a lot of their lives hiding from some really traumatic things. Um, but I, I, I will admit that in turning towards it, I think, yeah, is easier in some ways, but I also think at least from my experience, having trauma, it, it can be really, really hard. I mean, even if like, it's taken me a lot of courage to really sit still in therapy, reliving some things that have happened in my life that were really painful. And I've talked about this in a previous podcast, but one of the moments for me, that's been really like etched in my mind is sitting in that therapist chair, talking about something that was really painful and hearing another voice in my head telling me, Jen, you don't need to stay here. You can leave, get up, go tell her you have to go to the bathroom Tell you have to leave. You have an emergency, just get out. Like there was this strong urge of like, just leave. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, this is where I've learned that like, there's multiple, that's what I'm saying. All of these things live together. There's multiple things happening at the same time in my mind, at least. I remember saying to myself, Jen, where are you going to go? You can't run from yourself anymore. You can't, even if you left here, this will still be with you. It's not leaving you. So, you, you know, you have a choice. You can leave do what you do all the time, which at that point it was run from, or you could just sit and just be with whatever feelings, sensations, thoughts are coming up and see what happens. But that was a very, I don't know. I'll probably never forget that as long as I live, but it's that moment of, we have a choice. We have a choice and it take, it can take a lot of courage to tell yourself, no, it's okay. We can sit here. Like it's okay to feel these feelings, to be in that moment and not run. Because at some point, at least for me, I realized I was like, I can't run anymore. Like, where am I going to run to? (laughs) I've tried running everywhere and I can't get away from me. So you have nowhere else to go. And for me, at least in my life, that was a very defining moment that I taught myself, like, it's okay it's okay. You don't have to run from that anymore. Um, but I find a lot of people that I talk to spend a lot of time still in that running place where it's like, I'm, I'm too scared to really sit with what what's there. And again, it's the whole spectrum, right? It's not just happy and fun and all the good stuff. We have to hold everything together. I suppose it's, uh, it's, uh, those moments of truth, I think the moment you talk about, I call them a moment of truth. Um, you have a total choice, right? We go back to being the originator and life will serve you again and again and again, the same moments until you see them, right? So if you need more time, you take more time, but you're not going to go to another level until you go through whatever life wants you to go through. And after all those years of um, being in that field of wisdom, I 
I see the perfection of it all. Um, every single circumstances, the family you were born into, your nationality, the color of your skin, your gender, um, all of it is so perfect. It is really it seems that there is a dance of the universe to encourage us to elevate. And so now when there is something difficult, I just step into it. I just don't make it mean anything. I say, okay, it's another experience. You know, and I step right into it. That that's the thing is to to literally, if you depress, be depressed. If you defeated, be defeated. If you're joyful, be joyful. Because in the next moment, you will feel something else. That's, that's so a dance of life. So you need to dance with a moment in front of you. Oh my gosh, were we separated at birth? Because I or do you read my tweets? Because I say the exact same thing. I say life is like a dance, and it feels like you have to dance between all these different things, like you said, suffering and joy and pain, sorrow, uh, you know, accomplishments, yeah. excitement. You're right. But and the I art is to be a yes, right? When life, life and the universe is, are constantly inviting you to dance. Our job as human is to say, yes, that's it. Yeah. Wow. That is so powerful. So when you say our job, so I'm curious, the topic of the show was, you know, what does it mean to be human? If you had to like summarize that in a few sentences, yeah. how would you, what would you say is the meaning of being a human? Uh, well, I have a tale I tell my student, I'll, I'll say to your listener and you, Jennifer. So imagine you're a little soul, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so there is a world of the soul, which is called the spiritual world, if you want. And there is earth in distance, time and form so let's call that the material world and then there is the mystery of the divine mm -hmm. come talk about it i call it the divine people call it light god love whatever i call it the divine so mm -hmm. three dimensions right the divine creates the soul and the humans okay so imagine your soul that's who you really are you're an essence a soul you you're located in the spiritual world and it seems to be that the game is to go back to the divine in pure love, right? So at one point in your evolution as a soul, you are sent to the best school ever. It is such a unique, exceptional school for only very advanced souls. It's called Earth. <laughs> and then you send to Earth that's how I see life too. One of the most difficult school ever, where you have no certainty, no control. You, you totally live in an illusion. You don't understand anything. Your intellect is too limited so that you, need, you come and learn the lesson you need to learn. And then you die and you go back to being a soul and hopefully you've learned. So that's how I see the whole the whole um, game I, yeah. I do see it as a as a, a game that I cannot understand I cannot explain I cannot even attempt to comprehend yeah. as a human much too limited so I yeah. surrender to the mystery of it all but I like that story it's a very Buddhist yeah. story yeah but um, yeah. I, I uh, it resonates with me and I think that's the most important don't ever believe anything just listen to yourself and see what resonates and yeah. take what yeah. resonates with you leave the rest 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you said definitely resonates with me. And, you know, if you would have told me that maybe 20 some odd years ago, I might've said, ah, you're full of it. I don't get it. <laughs> it wasn't until like that one experience I told you about, or many, when you can feel what you are saying, like, it's one thing to go. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. It resonates in my mind. But when you can, like, when you talk about your essence, to me, it means more than just your cognitive, it's your spiritual, it's your body, it's your intuition. It's all these things put together. And until I had a moment, like I told you uh, the story I told where I had that moment of like, I could feel and sense this was a moment of that leveling up you were talking about of like, Jen, we're, we're stepping up to the next, you know, whatever the next level of whatever your journey is and what you need to learn. That is when I really, really got it where I was like, okay, I can't run anymore. You're right. Like I have nowhere to go. Like I just have to sit here and I just have to really internalize and really connect with this. And I could feel it in every ounce of my body. I could feel that connection that you were talking about that it's indescribable sometimes. Well, there is a French mystic called Pierre Teilhard de Chardin who said, you're not a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human experience, right? So when people understand that you don't have a soul, you do not have an essence, you are it. You have a human. The moment you can actually experience that what you identified with, which is your human, is not you. You are your essence. At that moment, you can actually take care of your human. That's called self-development, right? Self-development is where you take care of your human. That's uh, like therapy. You try to make your life better, more pleasant, all that. And then there is spiritual development Mm -hmm. where you remember who you really are and you, you... own the fact that you're located in the spiritual world having a human experience and you have a full life an awakened life you need to do both you need to do self-development but that's not enough that can become very egocentric you know you also need to go vertical and do the spiritual development yeah i agree so i don't know if i shared this with you during our previous call but i had to come to terms with that one I'm a very highly sensitive, just being, meaning my entire life I've suffered from anxiety. Like that was the human experience, right? Is I would have a lot of really strong sensations. I would feel things that most people wouldn't feel. I also grew up in an environment that wasn't always, you know, supportive of that. So I developed stories around, I'm also extremely intuitive, which was something that through therapy, I had to really come to terms with because I've had all kinds of like, I don't know, psychic experiences where I have like premonitions and I can sense things. And people say like, how do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know how I do that. It just kind of happens. And I just kind of feel it and sense it. So I'm curious, have you ever had any like experiences like that, where you have really intense, like psychic moments or premonitions or intuitions because I feel like that's a part of kind of our essence that we're we're talking about and being but human. In 2010, I stopped leading seminars. I stopped doing what I was doing and I went on a spiritual quest. So I studied Hinduism, Buddhism, Tantric yoga, 
Tango, I went to the Amazon forest with five shamans. I did ayahuasca, I did a Kundalini yoga. I mean, I went for it, right? I said, I went everywhere. And I had the most amazing experiences, mm -hmm. out of body experiences. I can still now just uh, in a meditation, get out of my body. The more you practice, mm -hmm. the more you have facility in, um, in moving from one world to the next, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the, you know, the mystic call it the river of life. It's, there is nothing weird about it. But if you imagine a river of life that connects the divine to the spiritual, to the material. Mm -hmm. So when you remove the barriers and the uh, dams that uh, we build in that river, then you can you can quite simply just move up and down the river of life. And I believe being enlightened is when you can literally go all the way to the divine and back uh, and you're free on your river of life, right? So mm -hmm. I, I trained myself and, you know, I've been at it 30 years. So it's, uh, I have quite a good practice. So what is great though with me, with my students, when I lead my courses is that I disappear. Sophie, the character disappears and I'm connected to something that is way beyond the character. So I say things I didn't even have any idea I was going to say. It, it's something is called the Akashic memory, which is a kind of universal memory. I, I connect to that world, which is absolutely delicious. Yeah. So well, it sounds like when, the flow when people talk about being yeah. in the flow, right. And it mm -hmm. sounds like it's more of that connection to that direct source that, yeah, because even like I'm, I'm a, I'm a coach. So even in some sessions, like I've noted that there are times where I can almost like have that out of body experience where I'm like, what just happened? I don't remember like physically like my human brain thinking about something. It just kind of flowed through me. And it's almost like I woke up and I was like, wait, that was interesting. What? Okay. I mean, I'll go with it, but that, I, I've noticed that like direct connection before. And it is a very, it's a very freeing feeling. I have to be honest. Like it's because you don't have all of those like limitations, self-limiting beliefs, but negative thought patterns. Oh, am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? You are just it's absolutely delicious to channel because you know, look, mm -hmm. people are spending most of their life trying to escape their characters, right? They do drinking, sex, drugs, extreme mm -hmm. sports, meditation, uh, entertainment. I mean, if you look at human beings, most of our life is done trying to escape that noise in our head. Yeah. So yeah. when you actually have the courage to dive in, stay still, and it disappears because you're connecting to something else. That's a delight. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I yeah. It, and it's fun. I mean, it's a great feeling. It's a freeing feeling, like I said, because it mm -hmm. doesn't feel like you're in that suffering shackled to oh, yeah, those negative, yeah. you're just present and really, yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. So I, I'm curious about what are your thoughts on some actions people and steps people can take to become more present. Like, let's say I'm a leader inside of a company and I want to develop more empathy and I want to be more connected with my teams. What are some things that people can start doing 
to be just more present and more connected? Well, it's, um, I'm going to be very zen, is to be more present, right? But I'll stop having a tongue-in-cheek kind of answer. <laughs> but, um, you know, awareness is the ultimate power. And awareness is available to everybody, right? What is awareness? You know, we teach our children. You have a child, right, Jennifer? You teach your child when he crosses the street. You say, stop, look right, look left, and then make a choice. All right, mm. so... A, you actually teach your children awareness. Apply it to yourself from time to time. Stop, look right, look left, and then make a choice. This is how it starts. It is that simple. You know, my first book, it's called uh, The Elegance of Simplicity. Mm-hmm. Just be simple. Just start looking. Yeah. That's it. That's how you start on the spiritual path. Yeah. And then the second step is giving up. Mm-hmm. Right, the spiritual path is all about giving up. So, giving up what opinion, judgment, evaluations, uh, giving up believing your thoughts. Uh, that, uh, you have to give up until there is nothing there. So, mm-hmm. that's the second step. It's much more advanced already, but it starts with awareness. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I talk to my leadership team a lot about is that, that I call it the art of the pause, being able to take that even if it's just a five second break, because I look at it like it breaks that kind of cycle or pattern of behavior where it's like your initial reaction is to say this or to do this. What would happen if you just took a five second pause? And like you said, look right, look left. And to me, I call that discernment, like being able to develop a a muscle to be able to make better choices that are in alignment with who you are as a person, the whole you, and not in that rooted, like cognitive reactive, like reaction that we all, a lot of us live in. Um, I think that pause is so important and just yeah. trying to teach and, people. Yeah. The other thing is uh, most human beings don't think about it, but ask questions, right? It's, it's a Socratic method. So if somebody's being a jerk with you or somebody occurs to you as aggressive or diminishing or something like that, Instead of being hurt and taking your toy and go and sulk, just stop and say, do you mean to hurt my feelings or am I making up a story? So mm. just teach yourself to ask people you, to stop making up story about the intention of people. Ask them. And it's very rare when you have a human being that will say to you, yes, I actually meant to break your heart. I mean, you know, most human beings are nice. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah, it's not, I always say it's not about you. Most of the time when these things happen, it's not about you. It's their own pain or their, their own suffering. Um, sleepwalking, you know, yeah. just being unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The pause. And I think the Socratic method I use even not even using curiosity with others. I use it a lot with myself too. When I feel like I can notice I'm getting upset or frustrated or something, I use curiosity just to even kind of help get me kind of shift my mind out of that, like rut that I'm in, if it's a thought or a feeling, or I I use the curiosity practice with myself a lot, which has helped me in so many ways because it, it also deescalates that internally for me where I'm feeling, you know, reactive or triggered. It helps kind of bring that down and I can get back into that balance that I'm always looking for of being, um, 
kind of in sync and just connected. So I think yeah, it's called, yeah. it's called beginner's mind, right? Yeah. So you, it's a, the most delicious way to be alive. It's like yeah. you discover, you're curious, you don't know anything, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what you have to give up knowing. And then yeah. it works. And I, I always like to tell people too, and it, this might be new to them, is I, I always tell people to practice. Like I use it a lot. Like, so one of the first things I did when I was going down this journey was saying to myself, okay, Jen, where are the, what are the moments that trigger you the most? Even small things. Again, I get this from Pema Children. She's like, use traffic jams, use the grocery store, use standing in line, use whatever, like really gets you triggered and use that as an opportunity to practice these things. Take a pause, notice I'm getting kind of irritated right now. Okay. What can I do about it? What, what is causing this irritation? Use sort of that curiosity. And what you find is over time, it just becomes natural. And now I've gotten to a point where a lot of times it's just easy for me to just fall right into that kind of mentality. If I see it going up, I can bring it right back down. And I think that's the process, but it's about, for me, it was about starting small, start and practicing in little tiny moments and practice and train yourself for when it really counts, right? When you have the really big crisis that comes up in your life or you have, you know, something tragic, you'll be able to have those tools now to be able to go, okay, I know how to bring myself back down. And, but using those small moments is something that I try to teach people because I find that people want to jump right to, Ooh, this really bad thing, or this thing happened today. I need to practice. And you can't, I don't know, for me, it, playing sports, especially I've learned this, like you practice when it doesn't matter. You practice when nobody's around, right. Or when it's not on the line, you have to practice all the time. And that's just my own. I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts on how people can practice it's, more. Well, it's actually physiological, right? If you studied the brain, the, mm -hmm. the, the brain is the a kind of terminal we have, right? Uh, so it, it produces my, a mind, either the automatic mind or the conscious mind. And the mm -hmm. brain will spit out what you feed it. And then the neurons fires and it will use what happened in the past to predict the future. That's a whole workability of the brain. So yeah. you want to transform your life, you need to retrain your brain. And that's what practice does. You know, when um, athletes go run around the track, um, they, that's what they do. They, they wire their brains yeah. so they muscle work a certain way so you need to in fact the transformation is rewiring the brain you need new habits <laughs> yeah i actually just saw it's funny you mentioned that because i just saw a quote this morning um by usain bolt who's the famous you know sprinter and he said i trained for four years to run a nine second race and i mm -hmm. feel like that is the essence of what we're training for is you do spend a lot of time practicing training, um, for those small moments in life that can be really catastrophic. It can have a big impact on you, but train in those little moments so that you're ready for that big moment. And yeah, it's just about rewiring your brain and coming up with, a. I don't know, for me, the more I find I rewire my brain, I feel like it kind of brings that essence together. And I feel like I'm able to be more connected. Cause like you said, it's like removing those roadblocks those those dams out of the river so that it can flow more naturally. And it's not, you're not always blocked. 
I love that. Well, one of the last questions I have for you is tell me a way that you would recommend somebody who, again, is starting out on this journey, who might want to learn more. What are some things you can recommend as far as books or practices, things that they can do to develop more of this wisdom and, and become more of their whole self? So um, my favorite, two of my favorite authors ever are um, David Hawkins and Alan Watts. Uh, you, but I, you know, I spend about three hours of my day educating myself, listening to spiritual teachers and all that. So, I mean, everything is available. But if you want my two favorite ones or the one that made, apart from the philosopher, but then I'm trained as a philosopher, but um, Alan Watts and David Hawkins are contemporary and they, they're very good and they have a great sense of humor. Okay. Now, you know, I know everybody wants to meditate and everybody wants to do yoga and all that. I, I'm a bit different, right? So you, the, 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 what I say to people is that you need to be aware enough to know what works for you, right? So my three hours meditation daily is not sitting still and in silence. No, I, I actually, my meditation is reading and experiencing another teacher. And from time to time, when there is too many emotions and feelings, I dance. Mm -hmm. I dance away my emotion and feeling. Now that's what works for me. I'm very feminine. This is what works, right? Um, I also walk and water. I literally have to be in water to just let go of everything. That's the best um, option for me. So you see, it's not um, like everybody else. It truly, Jennifer, if you spend a little bit of time maybe talking with a girlfriend or a friend or whatever, just find out what will nurture you. There is no other secret and don't listen to what you should be or shouldn't be doing. Just listen for what resonates inside of you. And that will give you this peace and this calm that we all yearn so much for. I agree. I feel like that is my goal as well in life is just to develop more of that peace. Like I want to be at peace, even if everything around me is chaos and I want to be able to be very peaceful just here, present, able to take it all in. But I love what you said, because that was something I, I'm the same way. I'm not a big, like sit in silence on a mat for hours at a time meditating. I like to walk. I like to read, like you said, all those things I know work for me. And, and that's what I try and tell people too, is meditation doesn't have to be these like really formal, like if that doesn't work for you, you can do walking meditation, just be really present and super like connected to whatever it is that you're doing. And that's, that's the same for me. That, that gives me the same outcome as if I were to sit in a quiet room. Um, yeah, I love it. I love all of your wisdom and I love that you're a wisdom teacher. Thank you for everything you bring to the world. Um, I, I usually do a segment at the end just to kind of lighten things up and get to know you a little bit more. Um, so I would love to ask you a couple of quick questions. And one of the questions is about what was the most, in, who's the most influential person in your life and how do they impact you? Um, 
the most influential person, um, I believe it was my husband. And I'm not saying that because he is dead and because he, uh, I loved him, but because I was 20 years old when I met him and I discovered that he was the genius that loved people so much. He attracted people like bees goes to honey. Mm -hmm. I, I never saw that. He was, what he gave me was this simplicity of pure love. I discovered love. I, I, I just didn't know. I never met somebody like him. He just loved People and people knew it, so we couldn't go anywhere to a theater, in a plane, in the street without having people flocking to him. Oh. That was just, yeah, that's something I've always uh, wanted to emulate and, and experience. That's awesome. That's really mm. cool. Yeah, you, yeah, you can, you, you definitely know those people when you come across them that have that, I don't know, presence or essence about them that just kind of people love. gravitate. I think it's love. Love is yeah. irresistible. Mm. Mm. I'm going to think about that. I think, yeah. Wow. Um, my last question is, you know, we talked a lot about wisdom today, but I'd be curious about what is the one piece of wisdom you want the listeners to walk away with from today that you've learned in your life? Humor. You need to create your life inside of the context of humor. Right. So how do you create humor? You just imagine that you are at a theater. Mm -hmm. So when you get agitated because you're starting a fight with somebody or your family is going crazy or you're stressed with a deadline, just take a bird eye view of the scene and find the absurdity of it. And you'll become like the Dalai Lama that giggles all the time. So live inside of the context of humor. That will be my best wish for everybody. So Might as true. well, because I tell you what, it's all absurd anyway. It really is. I've been in those moments, what you're saying, where it's like, you take that bird's eye view and you're like, wow, this is so absurd. It's yeah, it's almost funny. It's I, I've definitely had those moments and I agree. That's a good way to live. Sophie, thank you so much for your time today. It was a real pleasure exploring what it means to be human. And thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with me and the audience. Jennifer, thank you for having a podcast that makes such a difference. I really appreciate the difference you're making and thank you for having me. Yes. I had a great time. Me too.